Welcome to Highway Christian Community Sermon Downloads. For more sermons, please visit our website. We know you will be blessed as you listen. Take care and God bless. Good morning, everybody. It's good to be with you. Thank you for the welcome. Uh, sentiments are mutual. Steve and Janet are very special in our lives, and so is this house. Earlier on, when, um, when Dave was, was leading worship, uh, he said something to the effect of, the Holy Spirit in you needs the Holy Spirit upon you, and we gather for an encounter. And did you know that in the wisdom of God, preaching is also a place of encounter? You know, let's dismiss for a moment the giftedness of the preacher, but the message itself carries power. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. And then the Holy Spirit gets all over what Paul, writing to the Corinthians, calls the foolishness of God, this thing called preaching. It wasn't good enough for the Jews, and it wasn't good enough for the Greeks. But for those of us who are saved, it was recognized as God's way of ushering men and women into salvation and of leading them in salvation. So preaching, but technical for a moment, but it's charismatic, it brings salvation, and it's didactic. It instructs us in our salvation. But if, if, if I'm in tune with heaven and I've got the gospel this morning, then there's power, and the Holy Spirit is upon the preaching. And if your ears are open and your heart's engaged and you respond in faith, then something begins to happen. Something begins to unfold that involves all of us. It's not just about the preacher. And you're, you're pulling it out. You're putting demand on the gift. You're putting demand on the anointing. And the scripture tells us that when we declare the word, a whole heap of things happen. Uh, the scripture speaks of a word as a seed that's deposited in us. Incorruptible seed that grows up to bear eternal fruit. Uh, when everything God does, he does by his word. When he created, he spoke. When he redeemed, the word became flesh. And when we get preaching, we unleash the word, which is it's the fire of God. It's the rain that comes from heaven and doesn't return without accomplishing all that it's sent out to do. Jesus put it this way. My words are spirit and life. Paul said, spiritual things by the power of the spirit in spiritual words to spiritual people. Summary of 1 Corinthians 2. So... I'd love us to get into a spiritual contract here this morning. I'd love something to go down in our hearts. and Something to go down between you as a congregation and heaven. In the power of the Spirit. And I suspect that as we've devalued preaching in the modern church, we've had to spawn all, a whole host of supplement, supplementary ministry. But go and read the Gospels. Go and read the book of Acts. And see the amount of healing the amount of deliverance, the amount of transformation that broke loose out of the preaching. Uh, and why not? And why not us? Because it's not dependent on the gift. It's dependent on the gospel. It's dependent on the power of the Spirit. And it's dependent on, on, the, on the response of faith to the grace given. And so it's in reach of all of us. A couple of months ago... Uh, the Lord spoke to us as a congregation, and he spoke to us in, in dramatic ways, and it's a story for another time, and I don't necessarily believe that it's a word for you, but it's a, a bit of background. He spoke to us about praying for the country, and it's something we'd been doing for a number of years anyway as a matter of discipline. 
So on our announcement sheet, whoever was doing the announcements, there was a line that said, pray for the country. And there'd be a point every Sunday that as a congregation, we'd stand together, present ourselves before the Lord and say, Lord, we believe you have good plans for our nation. We're asking you to intervene. We're asking you to call this country to salvation, etc. And so it was, it was a part of our meat and drink, if you like, and a part of our thinking. But I couldn't say that it had gripped our hearts. And then the Lord began to speak. Uh, we had one or two extraordinary meetings where I was wrestling with what all of this meant. And the Lord just unleashed the prophetic amongst us. Um, and not just in terms of what he wanted us to do, but in terms of what was growing in me. And people were taking the prophecy microphone and saying, Gavin, the Lord is dealing with you. And this is a word for us and it's for the land. And, you know, it, it, was, it was extraordinary. It was undeniably extraordinary. And so... So now as part of our life together, this is something we do. We, we intercede for the country. But it was easy to pray for the first two or three weeks because we had a lot to say. We had a lot to complain about. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a bit of a news junkie. Um, I've also been touched by some of the more difficult things in the country. My nine households live on a property together and my neighbor, his house is... Um, a stone's throw away, and there's no fence between us, and he was stabbed in his home. And so we woke up in the early hours of the morning with his wife screaming my name, and he was sitting in a pool of his own blood. And the only reason he's alive is because the knife blade was vertical and not horizontal, and so it caught on the ribcage. It didn't go through. Um, and we've had our own fair share of theft, etc. And I'm a father of three kids in their 20s. And when you start to watch the younger generation try and find their way ahead economically, irrespective of their background, you just see the number of kids with engineering degrees that are teaching English in Korea because they were nowhere else to go. So, so you get the point. We, we, get, we began praying, and for the first few weeks, things, things went well. It was a good prayer meeting as we presented our complaints to God. <laughs> But pretty soon, what it began to reveal in us was the paucity of our faith. Because we were praying out of fear. And we were praying out of insecurity. And some people didn't like what we were doing because we were ripping them out of their head in the sand denial of some of the desperate things happening, not just in our land, but in our world. And it became incredibly uncomfortable. Because we discovered that in our heart of hearts, we were lacking in hope. And so we, I don't know whether it's like this around Christians in Natal. But for Christians in the Eastern Cape, man, superficially we talk a game, eh? We've got all the language, hallelujah, praise the Lord, glory to God, blessed brother. But when we get around in our vulnerable times... And when the gods are down and when we're not in a Christian environment and when we haven't just spent some time worshiping and we get honest about what is happening in our lives and happening around us, there can be just enormous fear and insecurity and a whole heap of gunge surfaces in us, our own prejudices, our own hatred, our own fears, our own animosity. And now you're into a different ball game. When you start to move this thing into truth, and into life and into reality and into honesty. And you're starting to live out of your real belief system. Now it's rock and roll, wake up, shake up time. And so 
what I've watched over the last few months, and I've really humbly been an observer, is the way in which the Lord has taught us as a people to fight for that place of hope. To fight in their heart of hearts for the place of faith that we can gather as a church and we can pray for the country, really believing that God will come through for us. And you know, when you're in a place of faith, there are no guarantees. But uh, if I'm reading the atmosphere right, you're understanding me. That something shifts in the depth of your being when the word of God, which is lovely, becomes a word from God. What they used to call a rhema word, a living word, and you can live of it. And not just in this country. Uh, in South America, it's probably in, worse, uh, in a worse state than Africa. But right across the globe, there is trouble. And right across the globe, the people of God are crying out. And, and based on my background, a lot of that crying out is in fear. And in insecurity and in blind terror. And I suspect that for everybody's sake, we need to move from fear into faith. And from genuine despair and hopelessness into hope. And if we're going to do that, we're going to do that on the basis of God's word. And if we're going to do that, we are going to require to change. Things are going to have to move inside of us. We need the hand of God. We need the dealings of God, the action of God to shift us from either this, this place of numbness and denial or this place of despair and fear into a place of hope and faith. Uh, so that there's a, an engine room, a battery firing inside of us. In fact, it's nuclear power. It's the Holy Spirit. The power of the Spirit that fires inside of us. It's one thing to be in your armchair and be telling your wife what the Springboks should be doing on the field. It's easy to be watching the movie and say, go David, go, take Goliath down. It's an entirely different thing when you're the guy on the field. <laughs> when you're the guy with the sling. <laughs> and you're looking at Goliath. And I don't know about you, but I want to stand and look Goliath in the eye and say, who do you think you are, you Philistine? Because my God, my God is greater and his kingdom rules. And I come to you. Not with spear and sword, but I come to you in the name of the Lord. And I say to you, bow your knee. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Okay, so that's the territory we're in. And it gets really simple now. It gets simple because I can move you in your head in the next 10 minutes. The big deal is to move you in your heart. To move you in your belief system. And I can't do that. But the message can, and the Spirit upon me can, and the Spirit upon you can, and the Spirit within you can. And we can come into a place of agreement together and say, God, as a people, move us into faith, into living, pulsating, dynamic, real faith, out of which flows life and energy and strength and dominion and everything that goes with it. And so, Father, that's what we're asking for. We're asking for the intervention of heaven in our lives, below the level of our minds, but transforming, renewing our minds, below the level of our histories or our feelings or our circumstance, that you would seize us in the pit of our being and plant in there 
glorious truth this morning. A seed that will grow up and bear abundant and eternal fruit. Thank you, Father. Could we have the scriptures up? I'm going to take you to two passages. Uh, The first is in Matthew chapter 9. And we're going to be in Matthew chapter 9. If you've got a Bible with you, many people have it on your phone. If you want to switch on your Bible, can't get used to saying that. But we're at the end of Matthew chapter 9. We're at the beginning of Luke chapter 10. There we go. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. Now, it's, it's useful for us if we just put ourselves into the shoes of those that were with him. Because he's got a group of people traveling with him, and in that group are the twelve. There are more besides. And they are watching him do what he's doing. They're watching the sick healed. They are watching on occasion the dead raised. They are watching demons leave. They are watching lives transformed. Verse 36. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. And that's a strong word scripturally, by the way. It means to be deeply, deeply moved. It's not not pity. It's not the way you feel when your dog dies. It's, it's far deeper. It's your gut is ripped out on the issue. I think in the Greek it's splachnitzomai. It's around there somewhere. Um, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And I would guess that there is not a better description anywhere of the nation in which we live. Helpless and harassed and not the only nation. Like sheep without a shepherd. And Jesus has compassion on them. And he says this to his disciples. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Now hang on a moment. You've all heard that scripture. If you've been around the church for more than six months, you've heard that scripture. Um, I've been around the church for 50 years. 51 years. Four years old, I demanded to be taken to church. Known the scripture all my life. <laughs> the sad confession of my unbelief is that I didn't believe a word of it. My fundamental belief system is that there's a problem with the harvest and that it's not ripe. The harvest is resistant. The harvest is not needing the gospel, is not wanting the gospel, does not want to hear the gospel, will not respond to the gospel. The harvest is green. It is unseasonal. Leave the harvest alone. Go, if you really want to harvest, go with Reinhard Bonker to Nigeria. Because in Nigeria, the harvest is ripe. Have you seen? People are coming to Christ in their thousands. In Nigeria, over 10 years, Christ for All Nations had responses. And these were people who filled in the cards and then were followed up. So, not, so we can't bank them as fully born again. But they had responses of 55 million people in a 10-year period. What is the population of South Africa? 55 million. So you take, you take my point. So you know what's happened is no one has told Daniel Kalenda and Reinhard Bonker that the harvest isn't ripe. And in fact, if you listen to Reinhard's story, he will tell you that when he started out in ministry, 
I think it was Lesotho. It was either Lesotho or Swaziland. Was it Lesotho? And he was having a hard time because it was a hard place. It was a tough place. They weren't seeing results. And then he invited a guy to preach for him, and nobody told this guy it was a tough place. And so all sorts of stuff broke loose. You understand? This is simple. But we are dealing with a really big deal. Because my question to you is, what do you believe about the harvest in Durban? Really, really, in your heart of hearts, what do you believe? Do you believe the harvest is ripe? I think that's a painful question. And you know what? I discovered that I didn't believe the harvest was ripe, but I discovered that back then the disciples didn't believe it was ripe either. (laughs) They were just like us. They were watching Jesus do the stuff. But in their heart of hearts, they did not believe that the harvest was ripe. And so you know what? You can come next weekend and you can watch Rob Rufus do the stuff. And I want to tell you, be magnificent. But that doesn't mean that you will leave here believing that the harvest is ripe. What will change your life is that when you walk out of next week, you say, everything he can do, I can do. Same message, same spirit, and the harvest is ripe. Here I go. And there's then a shift. There's a shift in the fundamental gut of your being, man. You get it. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly. And we do need to pray. I really want to challenge you. You work it out as a church. You work it out as a family. But man, do we need to pray. It is time to rise up and pray. And not out of fear, but pray out of faith. And to pray earnestly. This passage of scripture tells us to pray that the Lord will send workers out. There are other passages that talk about standing and praying all kinds of prayers. And our wrestle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. First Timothy tells us that we pray for all the people and we pray for leaders and those in, in positions of power, kings and those in authority. And as first priority, says Paul to Timothy, pray for these guys. So we have to heed that call. It can't be an add-on. It can't be three weeks of prayer and then we've done it for 2018. It's got to be something that grips the fabric of our being. But he says, therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Isn't that an interesting thought? It's not our harvest. It's his harvest. He's the Lord of the harvest. The Moravians, uh, several hundred years ago, really worked this thing out. They had a prayer meeting that ran unstopped for over a hundred years. And they sent out thousands of missionaries. And you know what their motto was? The call at at the center of it all. It was, let the lamb have his reward. And the harvest belongs to Jesus. It's the Lamb's reward. He died for them. And I'm going to be a little bit naughty, but I only come once a year, so you'll forget and it'll be fine. Um, But people do need to get saved, man. They need to get saved. I know that Jesus died for everybody, one for all. But you know, in Romans 16, Paul writes and he says, Greet uh, Andronicus and greet Janias. They were in Christ before me. We didn't all get into Christ on the day Jesus died. We didn't all get into Christ on the day in the councils of heaven, the new covenant was agreed on before the creation of this world. You got into Christ in the moment that you believed. 
you heard the gospel and faith came to you and you responded and you believed and you were born again by the Spirit and you were taken out of darkness and put into light. And so that news of the gospel needs to go. People need to hear it and have the opportunity to respond to it and to believe and to follow Jesus, to find themselves in Him and to be born again. And for some people it happens over a period of weeks. For some people it happens in a moment. But it's essential that it happens. And what this passage of scripture is saying is that the harvest in Durban is ripe and that we must pray that the one who purchased the harvest, the one to whom it belongs, will send people out to gather it in. And I'm not talking about recruitment into your club. I want a full church. You want a full church. We want full churches. We're not trying to get them into our system. To quote Reinhard Bonker, if you quote anybody, he's a good one. Let's plunder hell and populate heaven. Come on. Why not? What's happening in our country doesn't smell and look like heaven. It smells and looks like hell. Let's plunder hell and populate heaven. You know, I'm amazed at the people in, our, in the life of our congregation, the stuff they're doing. The number of people involved in NPOs and NGOs and schools and caring for wider frames. I'm amazed at what is being done. But you know, the root issue is that men and women are lost. They are sinners, separated from God and lost. And the root salvation is faith in Christ Jesus. He lived the life I couldn't live. He died the death I deserve. And a glorious exchange happens when I believe. He takes my sin, all of it, not a part, but the whole. And he imparts his righteousness to me, it is imputed into me, and I move from being sinner to saint, dead to alive, uh, by nature an object of wrath, to a child of God, accepted and approved. This is the gospel, people, and you believe in it, and it changes your life. And here's my point. Let's do all the things God tells us to do. But the root issue is not poverty, or corruption, or unemployment, or bad government. The root issue is sin. And we live in a world that needs salvation. And you can create thousands of jobs without solving the problem. Don't stop creating jobs. But let's get clear. The harvest is ripe. The workers are for you. Pray the Lord of a harvest to send workers into the harvest field. Now, there's an interesting thing here. Twice he said this. And twice they became... The answer to their own prayers. Matthew chapter 9, where we are, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest field. If you go into chapter 10, it says, and he called the 12 to him and he sent them out. <laughs> he said, go, yeah, do this. And so they became the answer to their own prayer. In Luke chapter 10, and if we could change to the other scripture, thank you. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Same thing. And so, if this, <laughs> this is where it starts to have cost attached. If you're going to look at this and say, yes, the harvest is ripe. Then you're going to have to say, Lord, work prayer in me so that I am 
uh, in the, I live out of the place of intercession of send out workers, Lord, bring in the harvest. And then I'm going to have to say, Lord, as you send them, send me. And so this simple thing rearranges your life. We could have preached it out of any number of passages of scripture, but you get the point. It's moving it from superficial mental acknowledgement of a truth into the heart embrace of a truth and massaging it into our belief systems so that it becomes what we live out of, not just give assent to. And you know, none of us are the savior of South Africa, but Jesus is. An interesting thing to notice about the Luke passage is it says that he sent them two by two to all the places he himself intended to go. I don't know whether that floats your boat, but it sure floats mine. It means that when he speaks to us, and when he stirs us, and when he calls us, and when he works in us, and he's mobilizing us, and that mobilization starts deep within us, when he's mobilizing us, he has intention about where he's sending us. And that fact was the thing that for me personally spun me into a place of faith for the country. I could not deny that God was calling us as a church to pray. I couldn't deny it. And in the honest moments of life, we knew that we didn't have the faith for what he was asking us to do. And then I discovered that he doesn't call you to go anywhere he's not planning to visit. That is big deal, people. Right now, that is the firm foundation on which my life stands on some pretty blustery days. That God has plans for our land. And he has interrupted our lives because he has plans for our land. And when we respond to the call of God, when we dare to believe, when we allow him to lift us into that place of faith, when we, when we literally wrestle with our demons and face our prejudices and face our fears and face the, the horror of it all, and in just brutal, broken honesty say, God, change me. Change, for God's sake and for the sake of this land, change me on gut level. And he does. He does it. Because he has good plans for our land. Can I give you a guarantee? Not one. I trust that somehow I'm granting you light, revelation, hope that you can find in the pages of your Bible. Let's bring it into land. Jesus John chapter 4, it says that Jesus had to go through Samaria. This is not a geographical truth. It's a spiritual truth. He was sent by the Father into Samaria and he engaged the woman at the well. And you know that he engaged her culturally inappropriately because she was a woman alone. And it was a cross-cultural engagement. She was a Samaritan. When his disciples find him, the same unbelieving crew, when his disciples find him, they are just a little offended that he's talking to a woman, but they're all too scared to say anything. They then change the subject to lunch. 
the most important thing on their minds is lunch. And I suspect that in churches all over our country right now, <laughs> the most important thing on people's minds is lunch. <laughs> and they say, oh, <laughs> they say to him, has anybody given you anything to eat? And he says, I've got food you know nothing about. It's to do the will of the Father. And this is what we're talking about. It's talking about in the grace of God, seeing our lives migrate more and more away from being absorbed with lunch to being absorbed with the will of God and the agendas of God. You know, it's a, it's a move into not living for myself, but living for him. Not just in the songs, but in the, in the marrow of my bones, man. I live for him. I live for you. And, uh, and then he says to them, he says to them, don't say, don't say, it's four months until the harvest. Lift up your heads. Open your eyes. The harvest is ripe. Even now. The one who is reaping is rejoicing with the one who sowed. And then he says to them, I'm sending you to reap. Another has sowed. And you are reaping of his labors. Now rejoice. Participate in the work. You get the point. Jesus sowed. He bought the harvest. Even now, there are people who don't know that it's tough out there. That are out there reaping. We're not being asked to die for Durban. We're being asked to join in the glorious work of the gospel. And you know the work of the cross is finished. Complete. Perfect. The work of the gospel. Ongoing. Incomplete. A lot to be done. And we do the work of the gospel. With the good news of the finished work of the cross. I don't know whether I've been too long. Can I tell you two stories? And they're two stories out of our journey. And they represent for me moments in which I watched the Lord shifting our lives in our belief system. The first one was a wonderful young lady. Her name is Samantha. Um, Sam helps to run a major frail care facility in our city. Sam's never married. Um, I suspect she won't. She's now in her mid-40s. She's adopted a little girl, a sipo, and she's raising her. She spends her life caring for people. Sam is just a wonderful believer, doing the good works God has prepared in advance for her to do. And she's just faithful and getting on with it and loving Jesus, and she's a gem. And, uh, and I'm so glad she's in our church. It's a blessing. So we're praying for the country one, one Sunday morning, and Sometimes it comes out of the worship. Sometimes it comes after the word. Just we go with the flow. And Sam was on the worship team that morning. She's a backup vocalist. And she made her way off the platform and she picked up the congregational mic. We've got one or two roving mics. And as she started to pray, she just got honest. She just slit her wrists. And as she got honest, the Spirit of the Lord came upon her. And so as she poured out her heart to the Lord, the Spirit of the Lord came upon the congregation 
And so by the time she was finished, we were all in tatters. But she started by saying, God, I can't do this. God, I don't believe things can change. I watch the news. I hear the reports. And Lord, I know you're in this thing. And I know you want us to pray. But I'm standing here telling you, I don't have an ounce of faith for this thing. She started confessing her absolute unbelief. And she went on for a while. And the Lord was upon her. At one stage, she was sobbing so prolifically that there were you know, large silences and sobs and sniffing noises between sentences. So it took a long time. But the place that the prayer ended was, God, I don't have faith for this, but I know you. And I know that you are good. And I know that you love us. And I know that you hate the destruction that you see everywhere. I know that you regard us saves. And I'm just asking you, God, help us. Help us. I know you. Help us. It was such a powerful morning. I went home. I didn't want to do anything for the rest of the day because I felt as if I'd been swept into a holy moment. None of us has the faith to slay the giant. But it's not our faith that slays the giant. It's our God who slays the giant. And so if we're going to walk in faith, we've got to keep our eyes on Him. And we know Him. We know what He's like. He's good to know. And we could have preached that lots of ways. eh? Get your eyes off the storm and onto Jesus, all that stuff. A powerful story, intervention of God, a moment in our lives that for some of us shifted us forever. Another example and last one, I think my, my time is done. Uh, I woke up in the early hours of a Sunday morning, three, half past three, with a sentence in my mind, pray that the country does not burn. And I, f- I found it absolutely terrifying. I'm a bit of a news junkie. And so in my own heart, it unleashed a terror. But the implications for the country were beyond what my mind could process. And so I was praying, but I was deeply disturbed. I was not only deeply disturbed by the the thought, but I realized I'm going into a Sunday morning meeting, and I'm going to get up and tell, and there will only be a hundred of us there. We know we're near as big as this. I'm going to tell a hundred people, let's pray that the country doesn't burn. What sort of... Um, fear am I going to unleash? What are we going to do? How? It was the most uh, extraordinary crucible. I knew it was God, but I didn't know what to do with it. I didn't know how to respond to it. You know, pray in tongues, stall dock down, get behind the sandbag, hope for the best, because I don't know what's going on here. <laughs> I know it's you. <laughs> anyway, we get into the meeting, and the worship team hasn't got the news. They don't know the country's going to burn. They just think Jesus is good and it's worth celebrating. And, you know, so everybody's loving Jesus while I'm in turmoil. But about second song in, lady, she's now in her late 60s, grandmom, uh, was a theater sister, highly competent lady, just uh, working with open heart surgeries, etc. Just lovely saint, involved in all sorts of things all over the place in her retirement, loving Jesus. 
doing the good works God has prepared in advance for her to do. Just, you know, wonderful. I'm so glad she's part of our church. She goes up to the microphone. She says, Thursday night was my daughter's birthday. And so we all went out to Kids Beach, which was just outside of East London. We all went out to Kids Beach to a restaurant. The whole wider family gathered there. I'm thinking, that's nice. Last birthday before the country burns, you know. (laughs) I'm glad I'm not the only human in the place. Yeah. She says, when we came out of the restaurant, we looked... And the horizon was, was lit by a fire. And the fire was coming from the direction of my son's farm. And it's a small farm which he farms. It also has several B&B um, cottages on it. And that's their livelihood. She said, immediately we knew the farm is burning. And we were right in the middle of very, very dry times. Uh, it's been uh, extraordinarily dry. You know, a spark and... Brush goes up like tinder. She says, we jumped in the cars and we headed for the home. And it was clear as we got close to the homestead that it was a large fire. It was moving quickly and that the prevailing wind was going to take it to the homestead. So we rushed. Her son got on the telephone and was calling for help. And, um, And she said, our job. Me and Dee to her husband and my daughter. Our job was to evacuate the children. She says, we got the kids out of the house. We got the necessities out of the house to care for the kids. She said, people say to you, you know, are you going to grab for valuables? She said, there wasn't time for valuables. She said, we said goodbye to the homestead and we fled. She said, two things happened. As we were getting out of the danger area, there was an incoming tide of people to help. Said they came from all sides in the district, white, black, rich, poor, on foot in their vehicles, but an army assembled out of nowhere. Said the second thing that happened is the wind stopped dead. And you know, they, that fire stopped 100 meters from the buildings. I'm sitting in the front row thinking, pray the country doesn't burn. Lord, I've got a different way to pray now because I'm not going to pray out of fear. I'm going to pray out of faith because one of these ladies has stood with with fire 200 meters away, seeing no hope, calling on you in desperation. And that family saw their miracle. And today this family can pray. And you know what? We can believe for a miracle. We can pray that the country doesn't burn and not out of fear, but out of faith. I think we're in for the long haul, people. Not just in our country, but in our world. But I do believe he's sending us where he himself intends to go. And Steve, I really don't know what to do now, but I do feel like I want to give people an opportunity to respond to God. And well, don't you want to come and do that? Because you've got to be here next week and the week after I get to be somewhere else. Okay, okay, let's, I'm just going to try and follow the Spirit, okay? 
I'm going to ask you to stand in a few moments and we're going to pray for the country. But as we do that, if you know that God has spoken to you today, not on any sort of mental level. Remember we spoke about preaching? That something happens and a word, the word of God becomes a word from God. And if you know that in this is a word from God to you, I'm going to ask you to respond to him and just come down front. I'm not going to try and lay hands on you. I'm not, I, I just want to give you the opportunity to say a resounding yes, Lord. And if you like me, you'll have forgotten by tomorrow morning. It's a journey. What am I saying? It's a journey. But God is faithful to complete what he begins in us. And so if something has hit you in the gut, you will know it. And you know, if it hasn't, it doesn't matter. You're not less of a Christian. Just let, let's let God deal with us. And then I'll, I will, I'll lead you and we'll, we'll pray. We'll agree together over the nation. But I just, as, as individuals and as a church, I just really want to give you an opportunity to respond to the Lord. Uh, is that okay? Because I feel, I feel it was the Lord. Okay. All right, let's stand. And if you just want to respond to the word out of your heart, come down front. You will, you will find the Lord will take some of you on, a, on an extraordinary journey now. Because you will discover that you will need to deal with unbelief, perhaps in ways you've not had to before. For some of you, you've prayed for things for years, and you haven't seen them changed. And the enemy will come to you and say, you know, you've been praying for your neighbors for years, and they're not saved yet. How can you pray for the country? And you'll hold up, you'll hold up your defeats, you'll hold up the mysteries. All of us who've walked with Jesus for a while have got questions we cannot answer. And when you work out the answer to those questions, you, you end up in a place of unbelief. You explain why God doesn't come through, not why He does. And so you, you have to deal with your disappointments in prayer. The mysteries, the things you don't have answers for. Dealing with those things is all about, it's all necess- a necessary part about really coming into faith. Father, in this moment, we want to ask you for Highway Pine Town. We want to ask you for the release of great grace upon this people. Of great grace to be your witnesses in Pine Town and in the Upper Highway area, throughout Durban and to the ends of the earth. And we all agree that we should be witnesses, Lord, but we also all know what we're talking about here. We're asking you to shift us in significant ways, to mobilize us in significant ways, to shift our belief systems in significant ways, to bring us into faith. Lord, would you do it? There isn't a leader on the planet that can inspire people. At the end of the day, You can only go so far based on the voice that is outside of you. 
But there's nowhere that you won't go when that voice comes from deep within you. And so we're asking that you raise up mighty warriors in this company of people. And that in ways that make sense to them and in line with their appointment and time and calling, you would unleash them in fresh ways in the redemption of this nation. It's coming to Christ and it's transformation into godliness and order. Thank you, Lord. Would you imprint this on men and women's hearts and minds and spirits in ways that words never could. Holy Spirit, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.